All right, it is Thanksgiving week and we are digging for wisdom even on the holiday week. I know all you guys have your kids running roughshod all over the house. We do too, but we're still bringing you the knowledge because that's what we do. That's the digs over there. It's me, Wizzy. The digging part's over there. The wisdom part's over here. Yeah, right. Wisdom part's over there too. But we're going to give it a shot here. And man, the people are practicing on Thanksgiving. So it's a wonderful time of the year for those students. I know there's half the field that's not practicing and they're upset about it and probably just gorging themselves on sweet potato pie or what have you because they don't get to play anymore and they had to turn in their shoulder pads, helmets and all that. And it's a depressing time for them, but we're going to concentrate on the part that's not depressing, which is the players that are playing. And man, it's the Thanksgiving holiday, but by far my favorite holiday of the year, especially growing up, being around family all the time. Ever since then, I've moved away from family. It's not that the, the family unit is a little bit shorter when on, on Thanksgiving Day. Plus, I have to make sure I don't eat too much, so I'm ready to go out there and shoot. This week, I'm shooting five games between Friday and Saturday, so I'm putting myself to work, so I know I can't put too much turkey down. But, Diggs, you love this kind of holiday too, man. Tell me why you love it. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Now, on the functional level, Ward, one thing you know about me that the, the listeners, some listeners may know about me, some listeners may not know, is I'm a little quirky. I'm like the Corey Seager of high school football. And you got to deal with it all the time because you're like, like, Diggs, let, let, let's tape at 10 a.m. And I look at you and I say, Ward, do you not know me yet? 10 a.m.? I don't do 10 a.m. Like, I, I don't do mornings. And most people do. I'm Corey Seager. You know, I have my routine. I do it. I do it well. And if you can, if you can work past it, you, you do well. And, and food is another one of my bits where I, I don't eat turkey. I don't eat ham. Uh, so we, we do a little Cracker Barrel uh, meatloaf catering. We get, we get some meatloaf. And I, I like most of the sides of Thanksgiving. I like the green bean casserole, and the banana pudding and some mashed potatoes and whatnot but when you're eating turkey and chicken and ham i don't like any of that stuff we got meatloaf cracker barrel meatloaf will, will will be our main event do you have any thanksgiving quirks ward or are you kind of the traditional you like your turkey and your stuffing and your cowboy i know you love your cowboys on thanksgiving that, that's something you, you really enjoy give me a break with that i don't need to hear it I, as a matter of fact i think i texted you this after watching that ridiculous commanders game against the giants i Immediately went to my phone and and bought tickets to a movie right when the Cowboys uh, Commanders game is supposed to start on Thursday, so I can make sure not to see any of that nonsense. But I'm sure I'll get plenty of texts telling me that my team stinks, probably from my own family members, to be honest with you. But uh, you know, I eat the traditional stuff, obviously. But my favorites are obviously uh, deviled eggs. I love deviled eggs, and then uh, my biggest thing is my mom's peach cheesecake, which is. By far the best dessert. You can take that pumpkin pie and you can put it aside. I'll get to it Saturday or Sunday. But Thursday and Friday, it's all about the peach cheesecake. She she lived and grew up on a peach farm. She knows all the way, all the different recipes with peaches. She threw it in a cheesecake once. She didn't even like cheesecake, but she wanted to make sure her son was uh, bound to be diabetic or something. So she threw me some peach cheesecake. I fell in love with it. Uh, and we have it every Thanksgiving. It's terrific. That's my, uh, I guess it's not a quirk, but that's something I have to have every every Thanksgiving meal. That's my guy, Ward, right there. And, and I think about Thanksgiving, you talked about how we're going to have 160 teams, at least the UIL teams. I know we've got some private school teams and some six-man teams that are going to be practicing. But Ward, you know, I, I'm thankful for our audience this year. I, I think of our audience, and we have, I think, a higher caliber of a football listener who listens to to this podcast, uh, you know, a little bit more classy, a little bit more kind. You know, 
usually in the football season, I kind of just stay, you, you made fun of this a few times where I just stay elevated in the press box while you're down with the people dealing with complaints about me and this, that, or the other, like worst days, I want to tell them something, but during the, during the playoffs, I go down and, you know, I like to take pictures and, and get a feel of things. And one of the reasons I like to get a feel for things, this, this almost sounds sadistic in a way, but you know, with every winner, there's also a loser. And with there's a loser, there's a humanity to that. There's a humanity to a, a whole community's hopes are let down the whole team uh, a lot of players are playing their last game and you see players crying and I like to be in that moment not to revel in their sadness but just to experience it with them because I feel their sadness you know when you see just that you know that huge play you know people bigger than me who are just in tears you really understand the humanity of high school football and how much it meant to them and how much it means to the community and some of these uh, players it's the last time they're going to play I get to talk to coaches and I've had players lose who come up to me and hug me and say thank you for the coverage digs we appreciate it and I've had coaches who have lost and who could very well be right to be mad at me Waxahachie is one we I'm not saying I was disrespectful to Waxahachie on this podcast, but I was wrong about Waxahachie on this podcast quite a bit. Uh, they played their hearts out against uh, Rockwall. You know, I think it could be arguable that in a different world they should have won that game against Rockwall. I, I, you know, a couple of mistakes, and you know their coaches are coming up and thanking us for the coverage. And and I think that speaks to the class of a lot of the coaches who listen to this podcast, a class of just that. The job of coach, you know, and, and what they do and how they handle things. So I'm very grateful. I have a lot of gratitude for them. Uh, and, and thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you for uh, amplifying what we do, even if it's just a clip to get your players anger riled up because, you know, you disagree with what we say or you disagree with our take on it. Uh, it it's all class and all love at the end of the day. And I just wanted to thank the audience for that. Uh, so thank you, Inside High School Sports audience and Digging for Wisdom podcasters for being great people. Even if you disagree with us, you're still kind and great in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I didn't know where we were going to go with this. You know, you brought the idea up two years ago. This is our second year doing it. You have a lot of knowledge that you want to get out, and it doesn't usually get out on just your Friday night dumps. You you, th you thought of this idea, and I was like, all right, we'll give it a shot. And we did it without video the first year. This year, we did it with video, and I was like, I don't know. I kind of like being, you know, heard, maybe not seen, but I don't think, you know, I shoot two games a night, Thursday and Fridays. Uh, I don't know what that equals. I mean, during the regular season, that equals to, what, 22 games, 23, somewhere between 22 and 30 if I get out on Saturday. And I can probably there's a handful of games where somebody hasn't come up and talked to me about watching our podcast where they wouldn't normally because we didn't usually have videos. So, it, you know, I want to thank the people as well, because this couldn't we talk about this all the time. This couldn't be done in Boise, Idaho. This couldn't be done in probably in Chicago or, or somewhere in Vermont, places like that. This is where the lifeblood of high school football is. Everybody knows it. The whole world knows it because they. You just use Coach TikTok over there from Forney as a perfect example. He's got 5 million likes because they want to know what's going on. And how can I be a, have the same knowledge as a Texas high school football coach? So when you say people come up to you and you're a little bit more, you know, uh, straightforward with your thoughts and that maybe that I am because I, you know, I have a show that I would like people to watch uh, on, on Sundays. So I can't get deep into it like you do, but you do. And they know it's coming from, a place of wisdom. It's coming from a place of, of knowledge. You're not hating on anybody for the sake of hating. Uh, you just, you just, you're telling them what they want to know. So I thankful for the coaches too. Another thing that some of these players can be thankful for 
as we're going to go through these games as thankful for the interview uh, introduction of the the cold ice bath, especially for some of these running backs that we're going to talk about that have gotten 30 or more carries. And that's where you're going to go when it comes to this, this round of the playoffs. If you got a strong running game and you can melt that clock, you're going to go far. So thank you, whoever invented the cold tub, the ice bath, because I know there's a ton of people sitting in it last week after, after some of these running rushing performances we saw uh, this past week and going into this week as well. Absolutely. And and we we did get to see some great running games and we are headed to the final 16 ward and, and we're getting to the point where I'm really going to need you and Houston Ward is going to have to come out and, and be a leader because I'm I'm seeing some things, I'm seeing some trends and when you don't have, I mean, we have some calibration, like we got to see Houston King play Allen earlier, so we kind of have that north versus south calibration. But, you know, Allen has gotten significantly better, and then they've had to be different because of injuries, and, and King has had some ups and downs. So it, it's hard, and, and, and there, we get some of these games, like we're going to talk about Spring Westfield and Rockwell, where there's absolutely zero correlation. It's like two islands playing their own world, and now they're playing each other for the first time, and we just have to figure it out based on what we see and, and statistics trying to figure it out uh but one thing i think i'm very proud about ward is is you know we, we did our bracket naming this year we, we named our brackets and we have 16 brackets that we've named in 6a and 5a and 14 of them make sense still so i think we're, yeah. we're doing pretty good with that we were good on the bracket naming including the first bracket name that we're going to talk about which is the north crowley bracket because let's get started man 6a division one north crowley's playing up at star against prosper uh, Prosper, as we know, and we're going to talk about it as well when we get to, to Tomball. They're just the teams that keep playing at late into the end of the postseason like they always do, but they're coming up to a freaking buzzsaw known as North Crowley, and they don't care that they haven't had the greatest competition during the year. Their, their toughest games, you know, you asked last week about Ted asked you what the, the Louisville toughest game was. Well, the, the toughest one for North Crowley was Lovejoy, right? And they, and they had the break that game up into two parts because of the rainstorm. Well, this is probably going to be the toughest one now. So tell me what you think about uh, North Crowley and Prosper Saturday afternoon, which is going to be our game of the week on the show, by the way. <clears throat> game of the week, and, and well, it should be. Uh, you know, there, there are definitely a couple of different angles you can look at when it comes to this game because you do have the element that you just pointed out that North Crowley hasn't really played anybody. Uh, even though we are now uh, 13, this is going to be their 13th game, they played Trinity. Trinity's no longer in the playoffs. Uh, and they played Lovejoy. And Lovejoy is two classes below them. And now we've got Prosper. Prosper is our reigning and defending 6A Region 1 champions. And they're feeling very disrespected at the fact that a lot of, just about everybody's going to be picking North Crowley to win this game. Uh, a couple of elements that I look at when I'm looking at this game. First of all, I really like what Prosper has done in coaching this year. If you look at their game last week against Lake Highlands, they ran the ball 90% of the time. They only threw the ball like two or three times, and they ran the ball because they saw that was the matchup. Other games this year, they've thrown the ball 90% of the time, and there are coaches at this juncture of the season like we have our offense we do what we do we win or lose with it prosper will change it prosper will do what gives them the best chance to win against the defense and that tells me that they're still doing a great coaching job over there and they're still learning and adapting you know some coaches you know we are who we are at this point of the year prosper is still evolving and north crowley you know we, they have won all, they've given us all the style points, but they don't have that signature win yet. And in this run, they don't have a signature win. Uh, you know, you could say last year they, they had a chance to get their signature win against Prosper, but 
Prosper continues to, to take care of business. When I look at Prosper, I know Prosper and, and their radio crew are really uh, parroting the fact that they held Deontay Dean to only like 160 yards. Like, ah, we kept him down. He only got 160 against us. See, you know, look at us. Uh, their run defense is, is, is a little bit suspect, and, and I know it's – partially because of injuries this year, uh, but it is what it is. And I think uh, North Crowley is going to be the biggest team they've seen this year. It's going to be the most athletic team this year. But again, there is that reasonable doubt there because North Crowley hasn't played anybody. North Crowley has looked great in games where they are clearly the better team. But now that they're playing a team that's going to be well coached, that has been there, how are they going to play? I think of these small schools, Ward. I think of like Brock and how Brock wins all these games in the playoffs, 69 nothing, 59 nothing. But when they play Paradise, when they play a really good team, it's like 18 to 14 because, you know, all of a sudden it gets real, real quick because they're finally matched against a team that has the talent that they do. I think North Crowley, I think Prosper does have the talent they do. So I think there is a reasonable belief that Prosper is going to be competitive in this game. But I look at the D1 talent that uh, that North Crowley has. I look at the way they've won the games. There's nothing that's telling me that they're not a three touchdown favorite in this game, but something tells me they're not going to win by three touchdowns. I think it's going to be a little bit closer. I think we're going to see the heart of Prosper. But at the end of the day, I think North Crowley is at least a two-score favorite. I think so as well, but I, and I completely agree with the Prosper's not going to let it happen like that. Just, that's just, it's been proven in the past. And uh, North Crowley does have a un, unsung running back. We don't really talk about him. We've never talked about him on, on this podcast, and it's not really talked about it out there. Ashton Cyril, 1,300 yards, 24 touchdowns. He's a smaller back. He's not one of the Division One guys that you're talking about. Uh, Cornelius Warren and, and Chris Jimerson are the guys that, when you talk about division one guys are then, but Aston Cyril does what he's supposed to do, which is get in the end zone. If you want to see him any Friday night, you just go to the end zone, just wait there. He'll be there eventually. Uh, 24 touchdowns. And I, I think with the problems you're saying Prosper has holding the, holding back the running game, I think Cyril could have another big game for them. And even Jimerson, he's almost got a thousand yards rushing uh, from the quarterback position. This could be a, a tough situation where it's going to be, I'm, I'm with you, two-score game, but it's going to be hard to keep it at that two-score. Now, maybe that's the momentum they need to turn around and win the thing. Prosper can post this stuff and, and say, hey, look, they say we can't even get to two scores. Well, we're going to win by two scores. We'll see if that happens. And all credit to Nathan Tenbarge. Like, you know, he has not been considered a running quarterback all year. I mean, he can run. I mean, he's got some statistics, but, you know, in the game against Lake Highlands, he was the leading rusher. It wasn't Deontay Dean. Uh, so, you know, the fact that all of their parts can play, play in different roles and complementary roles – Prosper is going to be a hard out for sure. But I just think, you know, when you if we did old school pick em ward, we put uh, North Crowley's 22 and Prosper's 22 out there, and we said we had to pick 22 from that, I think we're probably going to pick 15 or 16 of the North Crowley kids and five or six of the Prosper kids. That's not to say that the Prosper kids aren't good. That offensive line is one of the best offensive lines I've seen this year. But North Crowley's finally got the first offensive line that they're, they're going to see that's kind of like that. In uh, the game against Allen where they saw probably the next best offensive line, that was a 37-36 shootout kind of a game. So now I'm thinking to myself, well, Allen took him to 37 uh, and it was able to you know, score pretty much at will with them. How are they going to stop North Crowley? And I, and I don't think they are, but I do think they're going to be able to score a little bit against North Crowley, but I don't think they're going to be able to match them score for score for 48 minutes. Well, in the lower part of that deal, Allen's taking on Midland Legacy. Uh, I got a chance to see a half of that Midland Legacy, and it's, that's a team that's that's got some explosive power. I mean, Trinity wasn't doing anything against them, stopping them. That game could have been 60, 
66-55 because, they, you know, the first drive they got down to the one, started snapping the ball over the quarterback's head left and right. But they got a running back, Damian Johnson. He went for 3-7-49 and four touchdowns. And, and we've seen Allen – well, you saw him in the first round, but we've had him on the show twice. And they, they're nick one dime in their way out of these games. They're, they're winning them, but they're, they're close calls – your thoughts against Midland Legacy, because that's still a West Texas team coming in here and 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 they're taking on Allen where they're playing at a shot well, right? So it's yep. it's a, a neutral site there for them. But what do you think about this game? Can Allen pull this one off? And is the Legacy offense going to be stopped by the Allen defense? You know, one thing that's kind of not fair, and, and you see this quite a bit in these West Texas versus DFW games, when you get it out of the area, it's basically a West Texas game. It's basically a home game for Midland Legacy. Yeah, it's 50-50, uh, but when they're out there at Shotwell, that's a familiarity. That's a West Texas kind of a feel to it. Uh, so, Allen, you know, it, it seems like it's a lot more inconsistent for Allen to take their crowd out there than it is for Midland. Midland's going to be, we're loving this. We're going to head out there. We're going to make a day of it. Reza Allen's probably not going to have quite the fan support. But like you said, the way Allen is winning these games, that works very well in in, in November and December right now as they're playing these deep games. And, and they just keep coming. You know, it's the unsung heroes. You know, we talk about Brady Bricker and, uh, you know, he got hurt and, and the quarter, the running back situations and how it's just kind of a bunch of spare parts. Uh, but, but Zima, he, he's just, a, he, he's playing great football. The offensive line is playing great football. And Midland Legacy and Trinity kind of let me know that Midland Legacy is very much a Trinity kind of a team. They can't stop you, but they can score at will. I think Allen is going to have enough defensively to slow them down a couple of times. This is going to take a couple. Uh, and I don't look at Midland Legacy's defense and how that game came across as they're going to be able to stop Allen consistently, even though Allen doesn't have all of their stars. I think Allen will stop themselves one or two times just because they'll get a penalty. Uh, they'll make a boneheaded play or so, an inexperienced play because uh, of all the spare parts that they've kind of put in there. But again, we, can, we, we talk about Coach Wigginton and we give him his flowers because this is an incredibly well-coached team and they're just finding their depth and they're finding their story within the team and the community that they have right there. I think it's not going to be easy. I think it's going to look very much like the Arlington Martin game where it may even have to go to overtime. It may even you know be a fourth quarter game, but I think Allen, this version of Allen is going to win a one score game uh, by seven. It, it's going to be, it's going to probably look like the prosper game. It's going to be like a 37, 35, 37, 34 kind of a game. Uh, but I think Allen will have the consistent in the technique to pull ahead in the fourth quarter. And the fact that they've done it and their district has got them ready for it, I think they're well-suited to win this game and make it to the regional finals, where they will probably lose by four or five scores. But they'll make it there. Yeah, the one thing I, I learned from that legacy game is they they, they didn't have the uh, foot-on-the-throat mentality because they were up 14-0, could have been 21-0. They were. They came all the way to Pennington Field. Was doing this. They brought their crowd, but they didn't put them away. They never. They never put Trinity away, and they had trouble moving. Trinity had trouble moving the ball, and finally they switched up running backs to Josh Bell, and then they moved the ball. And it's, it's like, okay, I mean that's where it's swinging in Allen's favor. So if, if you're not going to put a team away when you have a chance to, and this time in the postseason, well then that's going to be, that's going to be a problem for you. 
Let me give you a little, little little stat in here to kind of give you a little technical analysis. I know our fans, we talk, we, we gave them compliments and they, they come to us for technical analysis and we're going to give them a little bit of that technical analysis. We know Trinity's secondary is kind of their Achilles heel. We saw Marcus and some other in North Crowley put up some really big numbers against them. Marcos Davila, the, the legacy quarterback, he was 19 for 23 for three touchdowns, 209 yards. So what that meant to me was legacy is, play, is making short, high probability passes passes that they're getting eight to 10 yards because Trinity's, you know, DBs are playing so far off because they're so afraid of being uh, beat deep. Allen's going to shut that down. And when that happens, that's going to force Damian Johnson. Is he going to be able to have that kind of 26 carries for 349 yards against Allen's defensive line? Because their secondary can play that short game a lot better. They've seen it this year. And I think that's going to hurt Midland Legacy's ability uh, to gash in the run game and uh, have the short passing game go for 10 yards every single play because Allen's going to be able to defend that a lot better than Trinity did. That's some expert Thanksgiving analysis from our main man, Dixie, over there. He knows what time it is. Let's go down the lower part. Uh, that's the Region 2 spot. where Dun- It's the Duncanville bracket. should be the Duncansville bracket. We had Caden Durham on this past week to get his bobblehead, and he's all, he's almost giddy for the point that he's actually getting some carries now because it's postseason. He, he didn't want to tell me what his yardage was for the year because he's kind of embarrassed by it. Like, before he even told me, he's like, look, I'm going a quarter and a half, two quarters. So – I'm, a little, I'm 1,100 this year because he had 1,800 or something like that last year. But he will get his – he may get – I mean, the way the Woodlands doesn't play defense, he may only get three quarters this week. I think whether this game's in Huddle or not and how much great offense they have, they have offensive weapons with Quanell Farrakhan at, at receiver and, and obviously maybe mature quarterback, but they're not stopping anybody when it comes to talented offenses, and that's where Duncanville is going to jump out there, don't you? Don't you agree? Yeah, I think so. It, it, it seems a little kind of, you know, we talk about the full circle, how every now and then you you have the, the stories kind of retell themselves, like when we had Geyer and Heath playing each other, and all of a sudden we have, you know, it, it seems like we have the coaches rematching each other. Now we got Duncanville returning to the scene of the crime where they already beat Hutto earlier this year, and now they're going to their home field uh, to have to play a neutral site game. It just seems like uh, the Hutto AD must be very forgiving. Like, I don't know if I want Duncanville over there after what they uh, did to dunk uh, what they did to Hutto earlier in the offseason. But uh, LaPlan over there, he's a good guy. Uh, he was giving us great updates on that Barbers Hill Richland game that uh, we'll talk about when we get to 5A, which is game of the year kind of caliber right there. Uh, but yeah, I don't think Duncanville is going to have much of a problem. But I want you to give us, give, give, the, give, give, the, give the Duncanville people a little bit of a clip. <clears throat> give us a way that you see, what can the Woodlands do? What can the Woodlands generate from what you've seen on your role as the Houston side of things? What can the Woodlands do well that you, you might give you a little bit of hope? What gives them hope is they're going to have to do something on special teams. They're going to have to have Farrakhan return two, maybe one for a touchdown and one deep into the territory, and they're going to have to punch the ball out on defense. Otherwise, it's over because I don't think they're going to stop him defensively at all. They can go a little bit toe-for-toe if, if uh, Matura goes deep. But if Matura gets hit once or twice, he's proven. I mean, he took a hit against Willis, and he was done for a week and a half. Uh, if he takes another hit like that, they're probably going to have to put him down and bring the backup in there. But their their path for victory is on special teams, getting some big returns, and they're going to have to – when they're tackling, they got to be punching too. they got to tackle and punch and hope to get two turnovers that way. And even then, I think it's one to two score game if all that stuff happens. But 
I don't think it's going to happen. So Duncanville had, by the way, me and Caden and Durham and his mom spent a good majority of pre-show uh, Google mapping Hutto because I'm a Virginia boy. I had no clue where Hutto is. And obviously those two didn't know. So you know, where are we going anyway? So we found out where it is. I guess they must have a nice, uh, nice stadium. Do have there. A nice stadium over there. Do they really? I haven't seen it. So, because they got two games out there this week. I believe Columbus is playing out there as well on Friday night. So when we we bring our brand to the the Central Texas inside high school sports, like I keep talking about. But we're going to lose Lake Belton. We're we're losing our our three five A Colleen schools. I know you're happy about that. So we have to get a new franchise out there and uh, find a team. Find find a got to find an auto dealership and we got to find. I'll a, tell you what. It's once that happens, I got to do a lot of backtracking. But I got like 11 podcast episodes I got to backtrack from where I said, I don't care about none of that stuff. Don't talk to me about East Texas, West Texas, or anything else. We love Central Texas. We love Houston. Uh, but I agree. You know, and, and I think your analysis is correct that uh, if, if the Woodlands keeps it close, it's probably because they got a couple of turnovers and a couple of special teams play. Is otherwise going to look like a 49 to 14 kind of a game where we're having garbage time in the fourth quarter where, where Duncanville has gotten really good at that. And, and that's one of the schools that you can't really look at the, the style points in the fourth quarter because they've got, they've got it down to a science where they're just kind of running it and, and punting it away and, and chewing up time. And uh, so I, I never, you know, DeSoto's we're going to talk about in region two. I think that Wiley East game is a little bit more telling than a Duncanville game of, of the same kind of score, just because of the way Duncanville plays. Right. By the way, I got to, I got to teach the credential people over at uh, Choctaw Stadium how to spell Wiley just for Wiley East. I was on there looking for a credential, for, and they put up credentials from last week. They had a W-I-L-E-W as if uh, they were playing a Wiley Coyote or something like that. I was like, all right, we'll we'll figure this out since it's, it's a Texas team. Let's get this thing together, a North, North Texas squad playing. Uh, Rockwall bracket. You, me and you were both at this one. I could only stay a half because I had to make it on the next next train out to Euless. But Rockwall's taking on Spring Westfield. Again, we're Thanksgiving season, so we're being thankful to the running backs and, and we're being thankful to a sweet ground attack and thankful for the ice buckets because Rockwall had your boy Ashton Emery, who you uh, correctly described as an angry runner. He, he can take the beatings and keep going. What do you get? Two forty something like that last week. Two seventy four touchdowns. Seventy one. Two seventy four touchdowns. On the other side, Spring Westfield has Taji Atkins, who single handedly brought them back. But and we're going to talk about this in the Barbers Hill deal too. They were down twenty points to Klein Kane, and they didn't go get frantic and start throwing all over the place. They went to the running game, and uh, Taji Atkins got four hundred and three yards and four touchdowns. He's a small, small. He may even be smaller than Ashton. Smaller back, but he's got all those moves, the juke moves to, to make small gains into big gains. It's going to be a shootout down there in, at Pflugerville for sure. One thing I'm concerned about, and and I, I I naturally default to the DFW area team when it comes to these kind of picks, just because I'm a DFW guy and and I'm a homer. But I've seen Westfield enough to know that they got a little bit of tradition down there. And I started really digging into their games and their defense, other than this climb came. Klein Kane game has been really good this year. You know, only get up 12, yeah. 13 points, and then Klein Kane kind of went wild. But they, that was the first, just the first half. They shut him down the second yeah. half. So they made the adjustments. They figured it out. And like you said, they came back in this. And, and watching Rockwall, their defense is, is, is good at times. Like they generated those turnovers with good, you know, hits to the, uh, 
the, the right, you know, the, the, where you got, got the helmet and you hit the ball, you know, they, they're, they're well coached as far as that goes. But at the end of the day, they just don't have the size and speed to really keep up and, and attract me. And, and that's kind of when you look at the game against Prosper, you look at the game against Jesuit, uh, you know, good offenses can wear them out. Uh, so that requires for them to have special teams play and to have defensive turnovers uh, to compensate for those things. Because offensively, because they have this crazy two quarterback system, it just takes a quarterback having one or two bad plays and they're punting it. It's like, you know, when they are in rhythm, they are great. But when they kind of get off, a little bit off rhythm, you know, it, it looks a little disjointed at times. And, uh, you know, they only had three or four stops in that game offensively where they were stopped. But those are the three or four that kept Waxahachie in the game and kept a close game despite the fact that they got a couple of turnovers in that game. All that is what, what I'm trying to get to the point of the fact that I just feel like Spring Westfield is going to win this game. Uh, you know, I, I look at the fact that they make those adjustments and, and they've got a little bit more de defensive consistency. You can look at that one game against Klein Kane, but like you said, they came back in the second half. There was no second half adjustment. You know, it was like 22-21 in the first half with Waxahachie and Rockwell ended up 46-43. So uh, they didn't do anything in the second half to slow them down. They just made the right plays. You know, out of 20 important plays in this game against uh, Waxahachie, they had like 11 of the 20. Uh, and that's ultimately what got them the win here. So in this game, I feel like they're going to need 13 to 15 of those 20 pivotal plays uh, to beat uh, Spring Westfield because I think they're going to be an underdog going into this game. I don't think they're going to be enough. I don't think they're going to have enough in them to make that many plays. So I think Westfield's going to end up winning. It's going to it's going to be a, a close back and forth game, but I think they're going to win this game by a score. Ain't saying that. Like I feel, I, I, I'm like I'm feeling clammy right now. Like I just need the Houston area team to win, but I, I just don't. I call it the Rockwell bracket, not the Westfield bracket. But really digging into Westfield, I, I can't see him with what I saw against Waxahachie, and Waxahachie caused a lot of those problems. I can't see them being that much more better to beat a, a good team like Westfield. Do you have thoughts on seeing? Uh... Mar uh, Marshall first series, Hoover second series. I like it. Excuse me, Lock. Marshall Lock, Marshall Lock. You didn't like that. And, and I never did. I've been complaining about that. I've been complaining about all the times. And and ironically, what's Lancaster? How they've kind of gotten to the next stage? They quit doing that. You know, now all of a sudden they're in the third round. And not not to say that Rockwall hasn't made it. We're here. We're talking about them. But I think that's a limiting factor for them. I, I don't like the two quarterback system. I think it. it, it makes you know you get cold out there you know you got to be in the game and they've worked it better than just about anybody has but i think you're going to see it in this game as a, a factor as part of why they don't lose because they're going to have to be perfect and now you have to have two quarterbacks playing perfect as opposed to one quarterback playing perfect to win this kind of a game and i think it doesn't matter it's all academic for next week duncanville is going to take care of business against either team but for this this side of things i think that uh uh, Westfield is, is just got a little bit more defensive pop in their game, and I like them. Right. And what worries me about the two-quarterback thing is suppose one of them throws a pick, and then you're out for the next series, and even though you know this is how it works, in and out, you can't help but deep down think, well, this is because I threw that pick, and now I'm going to sit on that pick for a couple, three series until I get back out there, and I got I got to prove to them I can do it. Otherwise, I'm going to get, you know, they're going to – I'll get one throw and – it's over again. But uh, if you go to the other side of 6A, you look in the region three, um, interesting news out of North Shore. We're not quite sure what's wrong with Caleb Bailey, but he came out of that game uh, in the second half, and they were struggling with Claire Springs. He came out of that game. They brought him Caleb Maryland, and 
you you can't get a straight answer out of anybody down there as far as what the problem is. They first wanted to say it was cramps. Somebody threw out a rumor there's it's the other knee that he hurt the week, year the year before where he missed the whole year. We don't know what's going on there, so it would probably be a game down decision. By the way, they got a sweet triple header down there at NRG. If you of our podcast listeners are in Houston right now, that's that's where you should go. I feel bad for the 10:30 a.m. game when you're just finished eating God knows what, and you got to get up at six or seven to get out there. But that one, and then Atascacita takes on Lamar. By the way, this North Shore against Cy Fair, I forgot to, I neglected to talk about Cy Fair with the University of Texas commit at quarterback Trey Owens, who is just making the plays he has to, and they took out Katie in overtime, which was, and they were behind 21-14. They had scored at the end of the game to get into overtime. And then uh, the next highlight I saw was, you know, fourth and 15. So they shut him down the first three times, and they, Katie threw an incompletion at the end of the game. So they really stepped up defensive-wise. So, it's going to be a problem if Caleb Bailey's not out there. Now, I still would pick North Shore just because they are North Shore. But if they win that game, they play the winner of Atascacita and Lamar. I was huge on Lamar. They're undefeated until last week where I saw they only needed – they needed the help of five turnovers in order to each uh, eke out a win against Richpoint. They won 31-28. But they got some of the fastest athletes on that team, on that Lamar team. And I was all ready two weeks ago to pick them over Atascacita just because – Atascacita was kind of stumbling through the end of their season with two losses, and they they were really hammering Perlin, but let him come back into that game before they they took off, beat him by a 26, I believe. But I might go Atascacita in that game, but that one probably is going to be the game of that triple hitter for people to see, and it's at 6 o'clock. So those two will play, and, and we may get another Atascacita North Shore, but holding out hope for Lamar to get in there and, and might be a nice little crowd out there to see Lamar and North Shore if that ends up happening. You know, a lot of people like to compare when we talk, talk about Houston versus DFW area. We got District 11, which is the Duncanville District, and the District 21, uh, which is the North Shore District. And all four of those teams in District 21 are still playing football. Even the Waxahachie dropped off, and Cedar Hill has kind of been impressive. But I still think that kind of gives you a slight advantage to 21. I think it came down to – didn't we have rematches last year or something? Yep. Yep, they went three. I mean, they've gone three rounds deep the last three years. It's 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 what they do now. Grant a couple of those districts that they have to go up against the the team they go up against the first round, twenty one versus twenty two, twenty two six A wasn't going to beat any other district anyway, except for the Houston ISD district. So that's an easier one. But the twenty the, the next second round ones are good games, and they they end up keep on going. So all right, let's move to Division Two, shall we? Let's do let's it, go well, to Wizzy. We- Let's do what we call the South Lake Carroll bracket. They thought they were going to play at 2.30 Friday. They bumped that back to 3.30 Friday. Is it really a difference? Well, that sun goes down at about 4 o'clock. And I know shooting the Trinity Midland Legacy, they're looking directly into the sun as if Jerry Jones forgot to put the curtains down for a good couple of times there. So will that be a factor? Who knows? I don't. I mean, I can't see Highland Park hanging with them, but they are Highland Park, so – you tell me what you They think. are Highland Park, and uh, I'm, I'm sure they're a little bit mad at Gunner and Comanche for getting that 12 o'clock spot over at Choctaw and making it a more of a sunset sort of a game. Carroll and Highland Park have played a couple of times over the years, and, and Carroll has not had much of a problem against Highland Park when they play with them. And you look at how Highland Park had to come back in that game. It's, it's a complete Randy Allen masterpiece on how he came back against McKinney, and you kind of expect that. We kind of talked about that being our limiting factor against McKinney is that we felt like, you know, they, they had that problem and they had to show us that could they could they overcome 
that scrappy Highland Park offense that was just going to stay in it and not give up and not get down on themselves, and they couldn't. They lost with a, a walk-off uh, field goal. And I think you had to know when Rock, when Highland Park was starting that drive with four or five minutes left in the game that they were going to go down and find a way to kick a field goal. It's just inevitable at that point. But now you got Carroll who does very much the same style of football that uh, that uh, Highland Park does, and they're going to have the – the same intangibles and the same pride and the same mechanics and the same good coaching, except they got a lot more talent than Highland Park does. Uh, I don't see this game being close. I think South Lake Carroll at least three scores, if not higher. Uh, and, and I think they're going to just uh, go on a high note to the regional finals. Uh, they, they Again, they're mad at that Byron Nelson game. Like that, that's been motivating them. We talked about how in that game, how would South Lake Carroll respond? Well, we've seen how they respond. They've been nothing but dominant since then. And Byron Nelson, had a couple of hiccups since then. So I think, uh, and, and uh, Carol may be getting their really good wide receiver back this week or next week. And uh, that's going to completely be a game changer. And South Lake Carroll is playing at a high level. We got the blonde hair and we got Carol action. We got the state of Texas and the, and the drums and, and the, and the trash cans being beat. It is Carol time. And Carol is, is playing great football, I think they're going to take care of business against Highland Park. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a dogfight. But I think by, the, by the, you know, it's just going to be a touchdown here, a touchdown there, 14 at halftime, 21 in the third quarter, and then by the fourth quarter, it's going to be 42-14. And it's going to be one of those games you look at. And that was a hard-fought 42-14 game. It wasn't easy, uh, but I give Carroll the edge. Yeah, and before they even get to the dugout at Chuck Choctaw at the end of that game, I guarantee you Riley's going to have them Starting to get riled up about Byron Nelson because well, they, won't be to, they won't know about him because that's who the next game is, and that's not until that's not until Saturday. There's no game in front of them, right? right? And why are they playing that? That's the Thursday? only game some, on Saturday at Choctaw. They're going to get some sunlight issues because they're playing at peak three thirty time. Uh, Nelson against Capel. Capel has probably one of the more underrated receivers. Baron yeah. Tipton. I mean, people know about him. But he's only going to UNT. Uh, it's not like he's going to these high division one teams that people are talking about. But all that guys make plays. Did three catches last week, all of them for touchdowns. All of them in the first half got them way out front, and and they went ahead and held on to beat Jesuit. And then on the other side, you got Byron Nelson. Uh, not a lot of people are talking about Von Grote, but he's he's up there almost three thousand yards passing. And uh, you know, they, they we talk about Byron Nelson's defense because they're playing so great, but Capel's defense is playing good as well. So, where do you find this game? Where do you find this match? I'm a little proud of myself for it. I like to pat myself on the back, as you know. And and I'm, I'm just like we're we're 30 minutes into this podcast. I've not mentioned Plano East yet. So now that we're in Capel's district, we can at least just say the words Plano East. I, and I don't have much to say yet. I'm, I'm sure I'll find a parallel somewhere. We did win the uh, the the basketball the Dallas Mavericks basketball classic this this past week in tournament play uh that, that's a whole different issue it almost makes me want to do a podcast because i've always wondered like what strategies are involved in tournament play because you got football out here where we play once a week you know and that's it and there are no special kind of a things every now and then you'll get a saturday thursday kind of a thing uh where you'll play and in the pros you'll get a thursday game like you're gonna have to suffer through uh the highlights and and, and crying afterward when you're watching your commanders lose um 
to the Cowboys. Uh, but football is very strict. One game, one game, one game. But basketball, you can get five games in three days. I wonder how that changes strategy. And uh, because once you get district and whatnot, you've got, you know, two games a week, sometimes three if they're playing. And then the state championship, you've got two games kind of back-to-back Friday, Saturday. Uh, so I wonder if there's anything, any any extra strategy to that. But that's a different po- uh, story for a different day uh, because we're talking uh, – I was about to say we we're talking Jesuit, but we're going to talk about what I learned from the Jesuit Coppell game as it applies to the Byron Nelson game. And if you remember on the podcast, I was I was patting myself on the back before I got into my Plano East rant. So you want to talk about Plano East, it just throws everything off. It just brings me to a different sphere. I, it is. I, I gave you perfect cut points. Uh, that Jesuit would do something in the game to push Coppell and force them to make an adjustment and force them to get better, but they're still going to win. They're still going to overcome that. And I thought Jesuit would find something. And for me, what Jesuit found was the intermediate routes, like the 10 to 12 yard routes behind the linebackers in front of the DBs. And I, they had really good success at at those kind of short passes. And I don't know if that really works into Byron Nelson's philosophy and how they play the game, but I found it was interesting that Jesuit was able to, you know, find a little hole in the, in the Coppell defense, exploit it for a couple of, uh, for a couple of periods. And then they, they kind of ended up uh, losing by three scores. This is a, such a 50-50 game for me. I keep going back and forth. I have a Byron Nelson narrative. I have a Coppell narrative. My Coppell narrative is they have played at a very high level after about week four consistently. If you look, if you ignore the first three games, the game against Saxe, Timber Creek, uh, those two games are kind of head-scratching games where you're like, ah, what about that? But once District started, they started to play at a high level, and they haven't stopped playing at a high level for 10 weeks. So we have 10 weeks of consistently high football. Whereas Byron Nelson, their ceiling against Carroll, they got fired up for that game, and they played their best game, but then they had that letdown game against Northwest Eaton uh, the right, right afterwards where they had to struggle to win that game. And even against Midland, it just wasn't as crisp as you were expecting to see out of Byron Nelson. So Byron Nelson at their peak, I think, is a better team than Coppell. But Coppell has showed me that they can consistently play at their max ability level. So I think that's going to give them a whole bunch of confidence going into this game. But at the end of the day, I think Byron Nelson just has too much talent to, I think it's going to be a back and forth, never more than a one score game. Uh, but I think, I think Byron Nelson's going to win like a 28 to 21 game that they're going to have to have a drive in the fourth quarter to win. Coppell's keys for winning in this game, they have to be perfect. They can't have any turnovers and they've done a very good job limiting turnovers. But what does Byron Nelson do great? forcing turnovers. This is going to be the best defense that they've seen this year. So they can't, they have to be safe in their play calling and not let those DBs come up and, and missile out a ball. Uh, and Byron Tipton, I mean, I, I saw that highlight against Skyer where he stole an interception. You can't have any of those kind of throws in this game because Byron Nelson will not make that mistake uh, that Geyer did. So both teams have to play perfect. I mean, Byron Nelson has no room for error. Coppell has no room for error. Who's going to make the mistakes? I think uh, because Byron Nelson has a little bit more talent that that it's going to be a little bit easier for them in the fourth quarter, but Coppell is going to give him 48 minutes of hell. It's going to be a fun game. If it was anywhere other than Choctaw, I would go see that game. Yeah, yeah I have a feeling that when you go to the box score, you'll hide the score. You'll go right to turnovers. Yep. And if that doesn't tell you the answer, you'll go right to penalties. And then by then you should figure out who won that yep. game, right? It's generic, but it's so true in, in this area. Like we're going to talk about when we get down to 5A, when it comes to turnovers and crazy things like that, 
that these are the factors. And I, I genuinely hope, and it doesn't happen all the time, I hope I look at that and we see 0-0 zero, zero on turnovers. And we just had, who was who the best team? Who, who executed the best? Because these are two great teams that are playing at a high level. And, you know, it's like we got on the other side of the bracket, we got, we got the Blue Bloods. We got Carroll and Highland Park. These are the new Blue Bloods. Coppell and Byron Nelson are the new group of uh, teams. These are the games that are fun to watch, and I wish they were on different sides of the bracket and we could have this as the regional finals. It is what it is, and it's going to be a really good game. If I could suggest to anybody to see one game this week, it's this one. Go see Coppell and Byron Nelson. If you're in town. Otherwise, I would suggest you take your butt down to the Alamo Dome for the game. I've been trying to get to, but I can't because it's way too far away, and i got responsibilities up here. That the Soto-Willis game in the lower part of that bracket, I'm looking forward to uh, probably since week seven. That one. If turnovers – that one, turnovers will have to play a factor because that's going to be a straight-out shootout. Passing galore, we talked about running backs, but I have a feeling this one's going to be a, a lot of passing until uh, maybe they get – if DeSoto gets up a score or two, they'll start giving Tiger the ball a little bit more. But, man, I'm looking forward to that one. Willis wins the toss. They get the, – the only thing they really wanted out of that game was an indoor game. And they got it, and they get to make DeSoto travel. So it's going to be an interesting game. Um, so you look at DeSoto's defense, and Keelan, uh, Keelan Abrams has 18 stacks on the year, but is he going to be able to get to DJ Lagway? Because that kid is so elusive that he can get away. He'll take off running. The quarterbacks that, that Abrams is sacking are kind of staying in the pocket there and just getting drilled when they come around the corner. It's going to be an interesting game, and a couple DJs going at it. Mixing, mixing it up. up. Got our mixtape going on. I feel like we could just copy and paste it from two weeks ago because we gave the analysis of this game two weeks ago. I, I think more of the newer things is one thing you've been giving your flowers to our DJ, DJ Bailey, about this year is the lack of turnovers. And Wiley East was able to generate turnovers against him. And that's kind of the first time we've seen that. And that game, all of a sudden, when DeSoto is not playing a clean game, we go from these 49 to 7, 49 to 14 games to a game where it's, you know, in doubt in the third and fourth quarter. So now as the competition is getting better, we know they got up for Duncanville and that's kind of, you know, that, that was their Super Bowl. Now that you have these games where you don't necessarily have that built-in rivalry, Wiley East, you know, they're, they're not going to, you know, get up for the Dub East name. Uh, and now with Willis, I know they're probably pushing the narrative DJ versus DJ. It's the Houston DeSoto or whatever they're going to be trying to tell themselves in, in this game. But at the end of the game and at the end of the day, it, it, to me, it's still about turnovers because DeSoto showed me if they make those two to three turnovers in a game, which they have not done all year, they look very mortal. They look very beatable against a team they should not be playing with at this point. They do that against Willis. Willis has a route to win that game. But I think DeSoto will clean things up and win things by two scores. But I, I don't think it's going to be the big blowout that a lot of people in DeSoto think it is. I think it's – well – I think it's going to be the next big game for them. Like, Duncanville was their big game, and this is the next one. I think they've looked at this. They, I think they've seen what they what these these paths could lead up to, and they know it. I mean, people know that people are talking about Lagway. They're talking about how he's the greatest quarterback out there, and and Mathis is in his DJ's face saying, they're saying he's the best, man. Why don't you – this is your time to – Show them what time it is. Show them what Soto Eagle, what the U is all about. Let's go. Let's get this one. And then they might not have another big game until State because, they, I mean, if they get Cedar Hill, they'll be thinking, well, we already we already beat them, so we know we can beat them again. That's the fourth-place team in our district. And then they, 
they move on to the next game. It's 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 until they get to state. So, it, I mean, I guess that'll be the next one if they play South Lake Carroll or Byron or Nelson. Be their next big game. Yeah. Or Cobb or Cobb Highland yes. Park. Don't be <laughs> disrespectful to Randy <laughs> Allen. What's wrong with you? After what Ted touchdown Teddy before, told you about how uh, excited he was about this season, you're just completely writing him off. What's wrong with you, Ward? That is disrespect <laughs> at the highest Pat level. Doney told me that. Ted Ted Mad would never give me information like that. That was a Pat Doney piece of information that went in this. Pat Doney, why are you being disrespectful but, to TV Pat? Come I'm disrespectful on. for everything, but I'm not going to be disrespectful to Cedar Hill no more. They got the team I need to get knocked out of there, Tomball. I don't even know what I'm, how I'm supposed to analyze that Tomball team because there's there's nothing to analyze. It's a six and four team that got in the playoffs. They're playing teams that they probably they shouldn't have won the first one. They got it easily. Then they go on to this next game and they have to they go for two because I think if they went if you didn't see that game they went into overtime and Oak Ridge scored first and kicked the extra point. They scored second, went for two because I don't think they thought they could last any more overtimes on this deal. So they went out and got it. They wouldn't won that game. So now they're playing uh, Cedar Hill and Waco. We'll have our correspondent down there. You know who we're talking about. Sweet Olivia will be down there giving us some uh, video and tweets and all that stuff. So we'll take a look at that stuff. But I think Cedar Hill wins this game. And I, I think they win it running away. And I know uh, I'm going to kill myself for doing this because I keep doing it all the time with Tom Ball. But I decided not to do it with Prosper this year. I'm riding with Prosper, although I do say they're going to lose, but I say they're going to lose by just a little bit. Tomball, you know, I just think they're going to get beat and beat bad because Cedar Hill. It's crazy. I just want to kind of give a statistic that kind of highlights what you said. Uh, just looking at the records, we got the South Lake. We got eleven and one versus eleven and one. We got twelve and zero versus twelve and zero. Now in Region Two, we got eleven and zero DeSoto because they only played eleven games against Willis, twelve and zero. Now we got Cedar Hill seven and five against Tomball eight and four. Like we got more loss. One of those teams has more losses than everybody else in all the games we cover, and we got two of them that are like this, including your arch nemesis, Tom Ball, just screwing up everything. Uh, I think Cedar Hill's going to win this game by three scores, though, because, uh, again, the way they're playing travels well, and uh, I, I just I just don't believe in the 6-4 and four Houston team. Now 8-4. and four. Exactly. And they're rolling. It's not like it, it, with Cedar Hill, they were winning going into the playoffs. No. Tom Ball wouldn't. They lost their last game, and then they get in there and play a couple of teams that they probably – should beat, and they did beat. You look at the other side of the bracket, if we're talking Region 3 real quick, Hightower and, and King, I told you they got the 10-30 game. Hightower is one of those teams that's got a – a. they remind me a little bit of McKinney, to be honest with you. They got D1 talent at specific positions. Quarterback, they have one, a D1 talent there too, but other positions they have no college prospects, and that's why, you know, they're 11-1, and one, and I think they should beat C. King, but it's not a team that I would pick over Summer Creek who is just going to blast Stratford. Apologies to Andrew Luck, but they're just going to blast Stratford in that game. Captain and Andrew Luck. Captain Luck. They're going to beat Hightower, and they're going to be whoever they play from the San Antonio thing, and it's going to be a nice uh, Summer Creek uh, in the state, state title game against who? You tell me. Is it going to be the South Lake or, or Highland Park? Park. You, don't you never know. know. We'll find out uh, in that, but I, I'm – 
I'm, I'm worried about Summer Creek. I'm, you know, it's like if, if we get North Shore, Duncanville, eight or whatever we're on like that, you kind of know what you're getting. I don't think we truly know how good Summer Creek is, and I don't think we're going to respect them enough just on their name. Like Summer Creek, what is that? You know, sounds like a, a product you use, you know, on a, a late night infomercial, a Summer Creek or something. I don't know. Uh, but I, they are playing at a very high level. When you look at the computer polls, they're rated as highly as those other teams. Uh, so, I mean, I'm probably going to have to break down that North Shore game and, and those 21-6A games to kind of find out what they did well, what they could do better at, at to try to come up with some sort of analysis on that. Uh, but for me, Summer Creek is highly worrisome for whoever DFW team comes out. Uh, because I don't think Summer Creek has much of a problem to get to where they needed to get the state finals. We got four teams that all have really good pedigrees that could all get there and they're going to have to work to get there. I think Summer Creek is pretty much just go ahead and write them in the bracket. Yeah, exactly. Lloyd Avant, remember that name, 5,000 career yards rushing so far. So he's solid running back going to Tulsa from, uh, from Summer Creek. All right, let's move down let's to five. We went seven and uh, eight in our bracket names. So let's do it. So, yes, we did. Yes, we did. I didn't even mention half of them. That's because we knew what we were talking about. The Denton Ryan bracket, we didn't know what we were talking about because they're out. I'm sorry. They lost to Abilene pretty bad. Uh, they're taking on Justin Northwest. That's another running back that's playing great. Effie's down there. What do you got? 245 last week with three touchdowns. They're taking on Abilene. Tell me what you think about this one because Abilene looked pretty Abilene tough. Abilene did, but when you break down that box score, they got four turnovers. And you can't have four turnovers this late in the in the playoffs and, and expect a win. But still, you know, we have the calibration, you know, that I think Denton Ryan wins that game if it was a clean game. But they were not clean, and they did not uh, earn the right to, to play in that. And, and Denton Ryan, that's been the problem. They just have a game where they just, you know, can't hold on to the ball. You get tipped passes or whatnot. I think now you've got Justin Northwest in there who they, they play very consistently good football, but they don't have a very high ceiling. We've seen Abilene. They have a very high ceiling uh, and they've got a lot of good talent and they have a kind of a defense that can generate turnovers. Other than Northwest running back, I don't see really that one player they can look at and go, okay, we can rely on them. Abilene's got a few players that can they can put their uh, – put the rocket ship on their back and say, okay, we need you to take us to that next level. I think Abilene's going to win this game by a score. Uh, I think it's going to be closer than the Denton Ryan game because I don't think Justin Northwest is going to make four turnovers. But that being said, I think Abilene's just a better team. And how about uh, Northwest making you look good last week? I believe the, what was the word you used for Tascosa? Uh, some of their fans idiots. were idiots. Yes. I believe you used <laughs> idiots. And they got shut out last, and they that was never a game from start to finish. So, it, it, it was Tascosa season, but goodbye, Tascosa. It was nice to have you. Go ahead and pat yourself, pat yourself on the back again, Diggsy. You've done it again. Out of here, All right, the Alito bracket is taking on – they're taking Red Oak on. It's 730 at Choctaw. Put Friday a big night. smile on your face, Ward, because this is getting clipped. You know this is about to get clipped. Whatever we say, whatever we say is about to get clipped. I'm just, I'm just warning you. Okay. You give your introduction, well, let's, let's and then you get a big it. smile on your face. So when it's time to be played in the Alito locker room, you're ready go to go. Let me go ahead and mark this. Marked. But before we I – mean, well, let's talk about Red Oak first before you get into your raids there because they got uh, – they're thankful for Chris Martinez. They're, that's what they're thankful for this season because they didn't know what they had at quarterback going into the playoffs. And 
I'm not. I haven't seen the, any video highlights of it. I'm assuming he's throwing quick screens and letting his fast receivers go for touchdowns. But he threw for four scores, and he's getting the wins when they need it. So talk about Red Oak going in this game, and then tell me what's broken. Well, up you know, Red Oak should be very proud of themselves because to overcome a quarterback injury this late in the, uh, especially a quarterback is good. I mean, you're you're singing his praise in the Lake Belton game. Moody, I think is his name. You're mm-hmm. singing his praise. What he yeah, was able to yeah. do, all the throws he was able to make. Mm-hmm. Sing his praises some more. Like like, what did you see when you saw Red Oak? That was like Reggie Moody. Reggie Moody, super elusive, got away from all sorts of pressure and still made the passes that he needed to make. And Red Oak's got their what career best win total of twelve this year, so they can. Yeah, Taz Williams and, and some really good, talented players. And, you know, you just can't – I've heard some Red Oak fans trying to spin how, you know, this team might be better with Martinez because you're putting one of the best – you know, you're putting one of the best players on your team. He's going to have the ball, and he gets to make a decision. If he's going to run the ball, he's very dangerous. He can throw the ball. If he's throwing the ball, he's got really good pair of receivers out there who can do something with that. I still like the fact that you can spread it out and you kind of know what's happening with Red Oak. And I, I think uh, the fact that Red Oak is looking at this Amarillo win, that was a one score game back and forth, 28, 28 in the fourth quarter. And they were six and five, very much like we're talking about with Tom ball. And it took them to the fourth quarter to win that game with a minute left in the game. I think uh, Martinez walked it off. Um, that's a big concern for me. And that's Amarillo. Now we got Alito. We got the reigning and defending uh, 5A Division One champions who has 11 rings on their hey, – I don't even know where they're putting the last ring ward. I don't even – like we've got nose rings now out here. got ear rings. We got – you know, they, they got so many titles. Like they got long hair out there. They're probably getting their hair in a ponytail, putting like a little ring back there to, to hold their hair back for as, as many rings as Alito's got. Uh, but I made a comment on Twitter on the dump uh, Friday nights at midnight or Saturday mornings as uh, some people, Ward, Ward's a morning person, so he's probably reading it uh, Saturday morning. I'm doing it Friday night, uh, my Friday night. Uh, and I said Alito is broken. And I didn't get a lot of you know flack about it on Twitter, but I got, I got screenshots and it, it's being talked about in Alito social media circles. They don't like it. They don't like the reference that Alito is broken uh, because they haven't, you know, because they're only beating teams by three and four touchdowns and this, that, and the other. And like, oh, we're fine, you know. On their the very first playoff game they had, they had, you know, the, the coach the coach came on the radio show at halftime and he's like, if we keep playing like this, we're going to get beat. Like, like he is unhappy with the performances that they're putting up there. If Duncanville had only had won the games against the Hutto and against whoever they played last week, uh, Rockwell Heath, if they had if they had those scores, we'd be worried about Duncanville right now because Duncanville is playing at a high level and we expect really good things out of Duncanville. And if they were winning games by 14, 15, or 21, 22, we'd be worried about them too because it's about to get harder. Red Oak is not really the team that I'm worried about. I'm worried about Longview for them. Longview is playing at a very high level right now, and you are seeing mistakes in Alito football that are normally not there. And I don't. If we talk about first-year coaches, we talk about philosophy. You know, you can like we talk about Randy Allen, and we know we can trust Randy Allen. And Randy Allen, we can trust. We know they're going to find something. Coach Buchanan, Coach Wood, we know that you can trust that they got a new coach over there, and it doesn't matter that. He's part of that. It doesn't matter that Coach Buchanan, uh, they have an open text message thread and they have a group chat and they can 
reach out to him and get advice and, and, and talk to them. It's still a different voice and a different expectation and a, a different philosophy and a, just a different vibe in there. And I'm very worried. But what I think Alito fans have a problem with, Ward, and you and I, we're common folk. We understand this. If our car breaks, we go to the mechanic and we get it fixed. Our car is broken. We go get it fixed. Alito, mentally, they're just like, if something is broken, that must mean we need something new. It just means you got to fix some things. Alito has some things that they need to fix. They have some turnovers. They have some personnel issues they need to fix. They have some consistency issues they need to fix. They fix it. They're still clearly the best team in 5A Division One. If they don't fix it, Longview's going to pop them. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Alito is broken because they need to look inside themselves and fix some of these errors, fix some of these scheme issues, fix some of these turnover issues that, and, and some of it's injuries and you can't really fix injuries at the end of the day. You can get in that ice bath you were talked about, uh, but Alito is making uncharacteristic, consistent mistakes, even though they are still really, really good and still really, you know, making big plays, big numbers, winning by three or four scores, they should not have played Lubbock Cooper as close as they did. They should not have played Colleen Shoemaker as close as they did. They're going to beat Red Oak, and who knows how close that's going to be. Uh, they'll probably beat Abilene next week, but after that, they got to play really, really good football. Yeah, because, like you said, Longview is red, red hot. After that McKinney loss, they were just blowing up and – Alito fans, he said it can be fixable. This is not – he's not hes not casting them off. There's things that need to be fixed, and they can be fixed, and they can put another ring in your belly button or wherever you're putting rings these days. That's – it can happen. So don't get too riled up. You get up. riled up. I mean, they're going to get riled you, up. Anyway, you can't speak – you can't speak – Calmness to Alito. They 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 live on be feeling like they're disrespected. And and I, I I can only say what I can say as far as they are clearly the best team in five A Division One. Like by far, their talent roster is the best, better than a, better than Longview. But you got to play at a level at a high percentage of your potential ceiling in December. And if they're not playing at that high level of their potential ceiling, they're going to lose. You know a team that should have lost last week? Probably the Richland uh, Royals because they were down 34-9 to nine at the half. Wasn't looking good. Coach Cates said, listen, uh, I know we probably should start chucking it all over the place to get this thing back in order, but we're not going to do that. We're going to hand it to Michael Turner 45 times. He's going to run for 309 yards. We're going to come back and win this thing in overtime. Thanks to our junior running back, what can you say? What did you take out of this game that maybe Richland can use against a 40 team uh, that had to gut out a win themselves against Lone Talk Star? Talk about momentum week. and going in completely different directions here as we are making it to the 40 bracket of our uh, 5A Division One chat. Uh, Richland can definitely take a lot of momentum, as you said, out of that game. That's a game that you should not win when you're down 34 to 9 at halftime that should not be a game you you win and barbers hill i i know they're your houston darlings over there they made a lot of stupid coaching decisions and i think coach uh, decisions that they're going to regret and i'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the situation ward and you tell me why what the houston debate is we got overtime you know we made it overtime richland Came back, they had this big comeback. Now you got Barbers Hill, uh, and they score a touchdown. So now we got it 48 or at 47 41, and now uh, you kick the extra point and you let Richland go. 
Well, we had an offsides play. So now you move the ball half the distance, got one yard. Richland does not play yet. And now you decide because in your brain and your philosophy, oh, we're one yard away instead of two yards away. Let's go for two right now. They go for two. It gets stuffed. Richland goes down and scores and kicks an extra point, and they win. I, 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 I don't think that's excusable, Ward. You can't do it. No. Not when you had the ball first. That's ridiculous. I mean, we talked about it with the Tom ball game where they went right. for two, but they had the ball second. That's that's inexcusable. Maybe if they, there was two more penalties and the thing's just on the doorstep. Not even maybe, then. But not even then. You don't think Not if you have a push type play? Even we've, we've seen the tush push go wrong in high school turn. quite a bit. I think you kick the extra point and force them to make the decision, force them to make the call. You lost the coin flip, and that's where you are. But at that point, there's nothing good that can come out of it because at that point, now anything beats you. Now you got to keep them from scoring a touchdown and doing anything at that point. I think that's un- inexcusable uh, from Barbers Hill in the justification. Well, we, we got a yard. That yard was cost you the game, effectively. I didn't like the call. I don't like the philosophy behind the call. And as we get talking about, there's been some interesting calls this week where I disagree with a lot of really well-minded uh, coaches who are telling me why I'm wrong. And I'm, I'll come on here and tell you why I think they're wrong as far as what the analytics say and, and what the momentum says about the situation. We talk about Melissa and South Oak Cliff. But in that situation, I don't think there's any reason why you go for two Uh, But that being kind of elevated to the points you were making about that, I think Richland is on a high. They won a game they shouldn't have won. And then they they got a couple of breaks. They they had that coaching decision, which helped push them uh, to win that game. And and they got the win, and they're on a high. But Forney played an absolutely bad, embarrassing football game, and they still won it. And that speaks to the talent that Forney has. Five turnovers, a coaching decision at the end of the game, which could have cost them the opportunity to win the game. They overcame all of that and still beat a gritty and very good Frisco Lone Star team uh, by two points. And I I think Forney is just way better than Richland at the end of the day. Uh, Forney's defense is one of the best defenses I've seen across all classifications this year. If they, as long as they don't have five turnovers against Richland, they're going to win this game by two or three scores. They have five turnovers again, all bets are off, like it was against uh, Lone Star. But uh, you know, the, the play I'm talking about, if you're unfamiliar with the uh, Richland or the the Forney and uh, Lone Star game, Forney uh, just needed a first down to win the game, uh, and Lone Star effectively let them score. I watched the clip a couple of times. I got the clip sent to me. It's arguable if he let him score. You know, maybe it was just a really good run by uh, JV and Osborne. Uh, but you saw no effort to tackle. You saw effort to get push. You saw effort to actually, you know, drive and run after him. But I think a well-coached team can coach you to give an effort so they don't immediately have the idea. Because if everybody's standing around, then you have to think in your head, oh, they're trying to let me score. Maybe I should get down. Uh, so if you give full maximum effort, maybe you don't have that – thought that they're trying to let us score and you finish it off. But that gave Nor- uh, that gave Lone Star a chance to have the opportunity with the two-point conversion to tie the game, which they did go down there and do. They got the touchdown, and but they missed the two-point conversion. So to me, that was a little bit of a coaching error because you tell the kid to get down. You can, you're, you're running with them at that point. Get down, get down, get down. I, I think you could have done that. Uh, but I, I think – and they called a timeout right before the play. So that kind of gives you a little bit more of a, you know, 
what are they doing over there? You know, what are they telling? And, and they did, I talked to Coach Fleener about it after the game, and they did, you know, talk about if they hold you to try to get down, you know, they're trying to, uh, you know, punch it out, you know, don't let, you know, we're, we're an advantage here, but they did not talk about the, if you're, if you're going to score, what you should do. Uh, so all things being considered, uh, that was a little bit of a coaching mistake. I'm more concerned about the five touchdowns or five turnovers. You can't have five turnovers oh, in the playoffs yeah. and or not. A lot of those came from a lot of those. Well, a couple of them came from uh, well special teams issues, which I think uh, will clear that up because uh, that guy has been returning punts the whole season. He just he dropped a couple of them, but Crawford was thrown off his back foot a lot in that game. I mean, it's week thirteen or fourteen, so I don't know if we're going to change that. But man, back foot throws really make me nervous when I see that because that's just you're not putting anything into it. You're just kind of lofting it in there, and that. I saw way too many of those in that game when I was there, and it makes me nervous. Richland ended up winning a coin flip, so they do get this game at home. But I do see Forney. I mean, again, I'm a big Aaron Flowers fan, and he made a pick, and he made some big hits in that game. So maybe he'll make, maybe he'll be the one that can slow down Turner, who will, uh, you know, he'll be blessed by the ice bath he got last week with with the 45 carries. This game reminds me of uh, Melissa versus Lovejoy because Richland is the Melissa in this case. And when they play good or, or, or great teams, they look great offensively, but now they got to play a defense. And we saw what happened for two straight weeks. Now when Melissa had to launch well, straight weeks, but two out of the last three weeks when Melissa had to play a defense, they got shut down immediately. Uh, and I think that's what Forney is going to be able to do against Richland. I think they're going to be able to score and, and do their thing offensively, but I think they're going to shut Richland's offense down and that's going to create a three score kind of a game. Assuming again, five turnovers is not an issue. Well, the winner plays the winner of Longview and Lancaster who actually get to play at Forney this week. What a blessing that is. Bank. Uh, first, bank. first bank Longview's like, I'm not playing the Mesquite Memorial or Kincaid. All right. Well, this is close enough. Um, man, Longview's on a, on a hot street, dude. Their defense is incredible. Tatum may have been out, but they went to Washington and, and, and Tut was throwing a long ball and they just manhandled Reedy. It, they kind of, you know, I was looking over some statistics and Lancaster's the only team that came, you know, scored more than two touchdowns against them the whole year, except for McKinney at the beginning. I mean, they, they 11 of their wins, I think seven of them, they let up seven points or less. The defense is just outstanding, but Lancaster found out something about that. Can they tap into that again? Again, they're going to have to stop them. They gave up 55 or something when they played the first time, but can they tap into that? I think they can tap into point? it, and I, and I think they can keep this game somewhat competitive if you view the 20-point loss that they had against Link, uh, Longview the first time as competitive. Uh, one thing I, I really want to highlight about that Reedy game was that was a de- – I was wrong about Reedy this year. You know, that that's one of my – swings and misses. Uh, I had Reedy not making the playoffs. They made the playoffs. They had a really good team. They were able to uh, get some skill players that I didn't know that they were going to be able to have. And, and they, they looked good at times. And what Longview did to them is they manhandled them, you know, at the lines, which was their strength going into it. Uh, I thought Reedy would have good offensive and defensive lines. I just wondered about their skill kids. Longview shut them down. Longview completely dominated them 
Reedy scored first in that game, uh, and then you know they struggled to score after that, and, and Longview just beat them up. And they beat up a very good physical Reedy team, which had the, the thought that they could beat Longview. They thought they had the formula to beat Longview, and they weren't even close to beating Longview. And, and now we got Lancaster, who is a bit of a resurgent Lancaster. They've they've gone through the trials and tribulations. And I want to give a shout out to my guy, Coach Penrod, uh, who is uh, there was a great article about him in the in the morning news, which I didn't even know about. Uh, and I had to text him some uh, some angry thoughts because I'm learning about him having cancer in the morning news and not in this text thread uh, that we have going on. And, and I get that he's a, a private person. And it, now that it's out there, he wanted to tell the story, but he didn't want to make it about him. And we won't make it about him other than the fact that the Inside High School Sports family is thinking about you and praying for you. And uh, uh, it sounds like you're on almost on the other end. And I and maybe maybe you can bring a camera out to this ward and do some coverage. But I told uh, I told Penrod that once he kicks this as part of the article, it was mentioned that he's climbed four mountains and four different continents. I told him that I'll go hiking with him. Like, a, give me a nice, easy hike. I can do it. And, and he's going to hold me to it. So maybe you can bring your camera out there and maybe we'll do Maybe we'll do a, a story on it. Who knows? Like the, the digs and pen, for social media. I know you're not going to waste your time putting me on uh, the big show, but maybe a social media only story. We'll put the, the Penrod digs hike on there. Uh, good story. Uh, you know, and, and speaking of that, well, uh, make sure you tell us about your Thanksgiving story before we uh, uh, close out our episode. Because I'm going to forget about it. It's like, I got to tell you right now, squirrel, Thanksgiving episode, good stories. Talk about Ward. You, you write that down, Ward. Talk about end of show, Thanksgiving uh, show for, for that. Uh, all that to say, I think like, I think Longview's going to beat Lancaster probably by three scores again. Lancaster's gotten better from the last uh, time they played, but so has Longview. And I just don't think that... Uh, Lancaster has enough defensively to slow down Longview. I think Longview or Lancaster has enough offensively to score. I think we'll probably see our best offensive performance against Longview since they've done that. But I think we're going to see like a 49 to 21 kind of a game. And we're to a point where 21 is now a good offensive performance against uh, Longview. So partially, I think you're going to get partial credit for your prediction. I think Lancaster will give us something offensively. I just don't think they're going to give us anything defensively. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough to come close to winning. I'd love to give you an uh, analysis of the Houston teams left, but they're all out. It was uh, the 10 5A teams had the luxury of playing HISD in the first round, swept them, and then they went and got swept by everybody else. So there's not a Houston team in 5A Division One within 100 miles of Houston. So. I got nothing to say to you well, about that. So I, I, I do want to at least kind of mention, right. because I know a lot of people said that full shear was going to be the team we had to keep an eye on. And A&M Consolidated beat them this past week. And we've already seen College Station against Lovejoy. I know it's 5A Division One versus Division Two. We've seen College Station against uh, Alito the last year. And we've seen A&M Consolidated against College Station. We saw College Station win. Was full shear really a good enough team to, to potentially get there? Or was they just got caught up by they are who they were? No, they are who they were. They, 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 they had a chance, but they've never been there before. And they, whenever the cards fall, like last year, they played. I forget who they played. That's Smithson Valley, and Smithson Valley, you know, it just took a couple punches in the mouth. They're one of those teams, and I'm, we'll talk a little bit about it with Lake Creek. They're one of the teams that just demolishes teams with their offense. And if you shut down the offense, all of a sudden we got problems. And that's. That's what happened with Fulcher. Their offense got shut down. They got two big plays, and then they had problems, and they were done. And now they're packing up their purple unis and 
Waiting for and they got to come team down team. to volleyball, so they, at least they had they, they got to they got to do yeah. that. Basketball sure. season full sheer. Not going to win anything there because Plano East is the basketball team that you need to know about. We are at one hour now, so I got I keep it keeping my ratio of one Plano East mention every thirty minutes here on the DFW podcast. Contractually obligated to do that. Thank you, Ward. Back to you. Oh, I'm going to rip that contract up. All right, let's talk about uh, Division Two. Emerson Brackett, uh, guys coming on for our, our bobblehead this week, Michael Hawkins, is heading out to Miserable Smells, excuse me, Mineral Wells to take Ford's on the rider. What do you think about What do you think about that game? Uh, I'll be present for the first half of that one, so I'll be able to see what Kendall Miller's got going on with that squad. But your thoughts and on there's them two different Ryder. Again, there's two different narratives as far as that goes. You know, we accurately picked Ryder to beat uh, Lake Dallas last week because I just didn't like the matchup. Ryder has too many athletes, and Lake Dallas defensively, when they play good teams, the two teams they played this year, Argyle and Emerson, were able to kind of name their scores. And even Frisco Memorial was able to score an impressive amount against them that I wasn't expecting them to score. Uh, so I, I just feel like the matchups really lent themselves to a, a Lake Dallas loss in the Lake Dallas letdown and the game really wasn't close so now you might be looking at this and going okay we got Ryder against an unproven Emerson team because at the end of the day Emerson has had three games of note and they've only won one of them and and that was against Panther Creek Panther Creek is still playing we might talk a little bit about them coming up uh, but the two games of note Argyle and Lake Dallas they lost and they haven't played anybody else of note Canateo is not a great playoff team. And then uh, playing the four, the four team in the first round or playing grapevine in the first round wasn't really indicative of a high level. This is going to be the second best team they played this year after Argyle. Argyle's number one, uh, and then Ryder's going to be number two. And so we don't know if if Emerson knows how to win, the mechanics, the, the mental state, can they beat really good teams? We know they can play really good teams competitively. They played Argyle competitively. They played uh, Lake Dallas competitively. They just could not finish either of those two games, uh, but they were in both of those games. So, so right off the hand, I don't think Lake Dallas, or I don't think Ryder is going to come in here and blow them out. I think it's going to be a very close game, but at that same time, they got to learn how to close these games. So I think it's one of those situations, if it's a really close game, a one or two, three-point kind of game, you kind of lean over to Ryder because Ryder has learned how to close these games out. But I think if they can keep it at a seven-point spread or higher, uh, they can not be, feel that pressure at the end of the day. And I think they have enough natural talent on their team with with uh, Hawkins and, and their good wide receiver uh, to where they can stay up a touchdown on uh, Ryder. I think they're going to win a 42-35 kind of a game. Then we're going to get our rematch, Argyle Emerson, which is a spoiler alert of what you're about to tell me. Will we get a rematch? I was going to say, are we? Because that's one of the most unrated teams that we've got in the Metroplex is Collegeville Heritage. We haven't talked word one about them pretty much at all this season because they had no comp really in, in their district and the non-district. And they lost Riley Wormley. And this was something – yeah, and they lost Wormley, but they didn't lose Luke Oldrich, who's, who's throwing the ball pretty well. He got the five touchdowns last week. They're killing the first two teams they've played so far. Uh, and then when you flip it to the other side, they're playing Argyle. This is another game that will be at one of my mini games this week. Um, Argyle, if they're thankful for anything, they're thankful for their head coach, Todd Rogers, because it takes a coach like that to take the two beatings they took in the first year and still have the first two games of the season, still have them believe in themselves to the point where 
Now you've already penciled them in past heritage here, as I just heard, and they got a, a young quarterback, McGuire Gasperson, who's just pitching it, pitching it around left and right to their guys. He's what 65% accuracy, and he won that game against Emerson Form, and he's playing great football. So tell me what you think about this game. I know you just said our guy's going to win. Yeah, how are they going to? He win? doesn't realize what he's doing right now. He's just a kid having fun. He's a sophomore having fun. He doesn't realize that we're in the third round of the Texas State high school football playoffs with all of this pressure. The stadiums are bigger. The lights are bigger. He's just out there being a kid having fun, and 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 that's what you kind of mentioned the coaching that Coach Rogers has simplified things for him in a way to where he can have fun and and just go out and do that. I got to give Colleyville Heritage some flowers though because they are playing at an incredibly high level at the right time of, of, of the year. They are, you know, I, I've, I used the term the last couple of weeks. I'll probably use it a few more. We're talking about your potential ceiling. Colleyville Heritage is playing right at their uh, potential ceiling. They are giving you everything they've got right now. They are winning games with 70 points. They're doing it with defense. Their, their coach over there uh, coming from, I think, Harker Heights uh, is giving – them the best chance to win the game and they are playing they, they have maximized that and there is something important to be said about how good that is and how how excited you have to be as a Colleyville Heritage fan that this new coach has gotten this much in the first year out of a team that we weren't expecting much out of this Colleyville Heritage team is in the third round of the playoffs playing their best football at the right time they're just not as good as Argyle at the end of the day. And it's going to be one of those situations, like you talked about, look at turnovers, look at penalties. That's going to tell you the story. Colleyville Heritage just can't win this game unless they get three turnovers in the special teams play just because Argyle is that good. They're that good on the lines. They're that good on the secondary. They're that good at quarterback. Ulrich is playing out of his mind. They just don't have the athletes at the end of the day. And I think Argyle has to be considered a 14-point favorite. But all that being said, I'm really proud of Colleyville Heritage. That's one of those programs when we talk about the campfire in, in April, wherever they get realigned, they're going to be a team we're talking about because of how they're playing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And they've been on our air one time. That's how that's how overlooked they've been from, from inside high school sports. But I'll be out there. I'll give You're going to give them number two. And if they win next week, you'll give them number three, I bet. Absolutely. I absolutely will. All right. Lower side of the bracket. We've been waiting to talk about the little South, South Oak Cliff and Midlothian Heritage. Uh, South Oak Cliff, I guess they need to be thankful for, uh, in my mind, they need to be thankful for B12 shots because their fans need some B12 shots because they were way too quiet for my liking against Melissa. I'm on the other side of the field because I had to show up late and it looked like they had scored. The scoreboard said they scored, but I look up in the fans and it's just uh, kind of blase, blase. So they kind of need to, to get a little shot in the arm here. Are they getting used to just winning so much that they don't need to to cheer for some of these big scores they got against Melissa because they're, then you kind of bring it here in these next couple of weeks. They were Instagramming war. Yeah. They, they had to go out there and, and get their selfies out there. And we're here and it's us against everybody. It, it, it's us. It's inner city against the world. We're being disrespected. You're disrespecting him right now. Coach Todd's going to clip you talking about their fans and you're probably going to be a, a public a shot of a this week. Shot of a drill and they'll be fine because they're, I mean, coach Todd, is doing a masterful job coaching the oh, yeah. squad. And so I, you got to give him his flowers. I just need to get these fans excited, a little bit more excited, because remembering the state title games, just just the atmosphere there, I just don't want them to get used to it because winning the state title is a hard thing to do. You talk to Coach Todd, it's difficult to get it 16 weeks, weeks in the season 
So let's get a little bit more hype, man. Let me see what you got. Got to give them the hype. Uh, a couple elements, and, and, and first I want to give a positive shout out to, to South Oak Cliff. And, and this is something that even a uh, an unnamed coach came and talked to me about during uh, the game who was who scouting out there, uh, how, how underrated South Oak Cliff special teams are. Uh, you know, their special teams are really, really good. And a lot of people just say, you know, oh, inner city, they're not going to have a good kicker. They're not going to have good special teams. That's our area where we can take advantage of them. And if you assume that, you would assume wrong. They've got a really good place kicker. They've got a really good punter. They're really sound. Melissa tried to run a trick play on them uh, in, in late in the third quarter, early fourth quarter, and they got shut down by that. South Oak Cliff's special teams is maybe one of the best special teams in the state at this point. So that's like a net positive uh, for them. So shout out to uh, South Oak Cliff and their special teams play. And that was really one of the factors on why they won this game, because at times they played very lackadaisical. It's like they were better than them. Then they let Melissa back in the game. Then they kind of got, they got mad and then they let Melissa back in the game, kind of similar to the Lovejoy game uh, last year where they just kind of like, ah, we're, we're better than them. And then they kind of got bored and uh, let them back in the game. And you just can't do that. Uh, but they were significantly better than Melissa. And, and I think I, I got that out of the game, but the fact that Melissa played South Oak cliff better than they played Lovejoy. Yeah. That does show a little bit of an improvement, but to me, I think it, Lovejoy versus South Oak cliff is going to be a much better game than maybe South Oak Cliff is expecting because they look at Lovejoy the last couple of years and they just beat up Lovejoy. That's just kind of their, you know, that that's just who they play with. Like, ah, we're not worried about Lovejoy. And this is a different Lovejoy team. And they, you talk about their fans being bored and expecting things and starting to have a bit of complacency. If their team has that kind of feeling against Lovejoy, it's going to get real, real, real quick against Lovejoy because they are really good. Yeah. I think this is a different team in, 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 Coach Todd will see this. You smacked them in the mouth the last two years. They folded quickly in the first half. They had rebuilt things and came back a little bit. But I don't think they're going to – if they score early on Lovejoy this time, I don't think they'll they'll fold up like that. I think they'll come back and play. This week they're playing Midlothian Heritage, though. Uh, We've kind of glossed over them. In my mind, all I'm seeing is the Heritage's game against the game, which I was at. They they barely won 21-14. to I didn't see anything in that game that made me think that they were uh, come within seven points of sock like they did last year. I think, I think this is a sock 14 to 20 point win. It, it very well could be. And, and we talked about it kind of uh, what Byron Nelson, how Byron Nelson had been playing really consistent football until they had their big game. And now we, they beat South Lake, and now two out of three weeks, you, you kind of look at their scores and you're kind of like, well, what's going on there? Midlothian Heritage, and we'd even lauded them on this podcast for being a really consistent team. And then the Seguin game and now the Marshall game, that's two of their last three weeks. You're looking at that like, I, I don't know about that. Uh, and, and I think South Oak Cliff is probably a, a, at least a two-score favorite over them. But Midlothian Heritage is going to give you a higher uh, potential ceiling than I think even Melissa did. Uh, and I think they're going to play a little tougher in the lines. And I think they're going to have a couple of uh, offensive schemes that I think will give South Oak Cliff a little bit of a problem that, that South Oak Cliff defensively will have to figure out uh, how to get past. But at the end of the day, I can't see Midlothian Heritage scoring that 30 like they did last year. I think they're going to score 14. So then the question is, can their defense stop South Oak Cliff, hold them to 14 or less? Nah, South Oak Cliff's going to get 28 plus. So I, I, like you, I think they're a two score favorite at least. Very good point. Now you you we've already talked about Lovejoy uh, playing soccer the next round. So you 
But I, I feel like the Texas high game will be a little bit of a challenge for them, but you don't think there will be challenged too, too much to not win it. Well, I mean, we, we talked about playoff summit. That game was 14 nothing summit in the second quarter. And we're like, okay, here comes playoff summit again. And then Texas High shut them out and, and got 17 straight in that half. Uh, but for, for them to not show me that level of dominance, I, I needed style points in that game. And that was a 50-50 game uh, against summit. Uh, I needed to see them win that game like 35-14 to 14 or something and just defeat Summit the way Midlothian Heritage defeated Summit. Beat beat them the way that uh, Lovejoy beat Melissa. Uh, I think Lovejoy, uh, you know, again, we keep talking about they're getting healthy. You know, Lovejoy is just a couple of weeks uh, away from having two or three of their receivers back into that offense. Uh, and every week they play, they become a little bit more dangerous. And that core that they've got who's out there, Dalen McCutcheon is just playing out of his mind, Dalen McCutcheon, who should be going to Plano East, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Murphy Middle School Zone. He, 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 made, he made Murphy Middle School great before uh, finding his way over to Lovejoy. That doesn't happen anymore, Ward. People don't leave Plano East anymore. We've got Coach B over there making sure that uh, all, all the all the middle schools feed properly into Plano East and uh, taking care of business over there. Dalen McCutcheon is the one that got away, uh, and you can see why. He's playing great for Lovejoy, uh, but he's basically all they've got right now, but they're still finding ways to uh, win with him, and they're winning with defense. And I think Texas High showed me that uh, they got shut down to 17 against Mansfield Summit's defense. Lovejoy is going to take it to that next level. So we, we kind of talked about uh, against Midlothian Heritage. I don't see Midlothian Heritage scoring more than 14 against uh, South Oak Cliff. I don't see Texas High scoring more than 14 against Lovejoy, which means can Texas High hold Lovejoy's offense to 14 or less? No. So I think they're going to win it. I think we're going to see both scores very similar, 28 to 14 scores, both uh, to determine the regional championship over here. Excellent. And then you, you look on the, the, the Houston side of things. I talked a little bit about Lake Creek. They got, uh, they put up 70 a night and they're, they're taking on PNG and I'm really excited about that. That's a four o'clock game. PNG obviously was the state runner up and five, a division two last year in, Lake Creek, Scott, it's it's one of those deals, dude. You slow down the offense, you slow them down, but they got one of the better running backs in the in the state with Ty Ty Byers, and their quarterback Eli Morcos is finding his guy Sam Lee all over the place, and they're just putting up video game numbers. What happens when that video game number seventy points gets taken down to twenty? That's where that's where you get a little bit nervous. On the other side, is you know how you threw uh, Mansfield Timberview on me last year? Why well, this year? I threw Richmond Randall on myself in Houston because I have no, I don't have a digs down there. So I threw them on myself and I'm, I've been riding with this team. It's a relatively new program. Uh, the, the head coach is, is the son of the, of the, what the school is named after. So Brian Randall is, is the head coach down there and he's got a freshman running back Landon Williams Callis, who is absolutely incredible. He's uh, his cousin is Jaquise Rogers. who used to play in the NFL and he's got offers from Alabama and all over the place as a freshman. He, he doesn't look like a freshman if you ever interview him. So they're playing Huntsville, a team they beat two weeks ago handily. So I expect – or three weeks ago in the last game of the season. So I expect them to probably beat them again, move on to play either PNG or Lake Creek because I can't predict the winner in that one. I think that game's going to be close. 
Let's do some quick hitters from 4A. How about well, that? Let me just kind of point out one thing because I'm looking at a, a view of the state right now, and, and I'm looking at, you know, like in Region 2, we got uh, the District 5 champion, 6 champion, 7 champion, and 8 champion. Uh, but over here, three of these teams are in that 10-5A. You got Lake Creek, Randall, and Huntsville who have all played each other already, and, and I guess Lake Creek already beat Randall. What was that Lake Creek-Randall game like in round one? That was yeah. That was earlier. That was earlier in the season when Randall hadn't got their footing. I think they 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 won by fifteen to twenty in that one. So they weren't able to stop their offense that much either. Uh, PNG is the chance to stop that offense, and I don't know if they can. I think Lake Creek will probably beat Randall if they play them again. I hate to say that because I threw them on me. That's my squad, but I think that's what's going to happen in that one. But they got to get past PNG first. That's going to be a huge one. Four o'clock, so they may have sunlight issues, whatever you call that, sunrise issues, sunset well, If you're in Houston, you have issues anyway. It's just you're waking up and you're in Houston, and that's your problem. Hey, give me some quick hitters in 4A, especially that game that both of us will be at. I'll be there for second half and against uh, Panther Creek and, and talk a little bit about Salinas Stephenville as well. well I'm, I'm going to throw that at you and then throw a question on you. You know, Region 1, we keep talking about, I think it's uh, – going to be Brownwood versus Decatur uh, for the regional championship. Springtown has gotten much better, though. Uh, I see a couple of computer models that have Spring, uh, Springtown over Brownwood. So we'll find out if Springtown got enough better. Coach Hewlett has done a really good job over at Springtown. Hopefully he does a good enough job to approve my credential over there because I'm going to go see a little small school football uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, but I think Region 2, we really see the strength. you got Stephenville and Salina, and you got Panther Creek versus Anna. Uh, you got, you know, kind of the new blood against the old blood down here in the bottom half of the district. We've got Panther Creek and Anna, the newer teams, and you got Stephenville and Salina, the old school teams. Uh, Salina's won that team game in the past. So uh, I think they're going to take care of business. Uh, well, Stephenville won it last year, but I think Salina will come back. And then uh, Anna versus, I think Anna's going to take care of Panther Creek, but the name I want, I want your feedback on if, if you have any feedback, I, I know you don't care about small schools and you put small schools plus uh, Houston area. And we're just trying to figure things out. What is this Iowa colony and, and why should I care about them? Iowa colony is one of those new schools that opened up like two, three years ago. And much like, other schools that open up, they've kind of pulled talent from all the other schools and they've pulled the good talent. It's a young team that's doing stuff. And they, they remind me a lot of Panther Creek about as, as, as far as they're going here without a lot of name recognition and they're doing things. We'll have a camera at that game, but they have a, a quality offense. It's the defense that will see if they can slow down, uh, but they can slow down Chapel Hill because you know, those East Texas teams can play, especially that district. That's the, that's like the 11-6A and 21-6A of 4A, right? right? The, that that side of the thing. But they're, they're a quality squad, and quickly over in the 4A, too, is, is Belleville over there. It's another team that we cover in Houston. And they're, they're also – they usually get to this round, and then something trips them up. They kill everybody until they get to this round, and they get tripped up. Well, they got Silsby this week in 4A Division Two. Uh, we'll see what Belleville keeps on going. You know, I think the big game and uh, one area I was wrong about, even though we don't talk about it on the podcast, I thought Aubrey uh, was going to get rolled by uh, by Van and uh, Sunnyvale played Gilmer very well. And now we, you've got Argyle and, and uh, Gilmer or we got Argyle, not Argyle, Aubrey and Gilmer. Uh, 
Gilmer will be a little bit of a favorite. Still the game uh, that will be right before the Lovejoy-Texas high game uh, over at Pirate Stadium uh, on, on Friday that, that you need to know about is Pleasant Grove against Carthage. That's kind of your main event. A lot of people think that's the state championship game right there. Uh, that will be a fun game. We got to see Pleasant Grove against Brock earlier in the year. Uh, now we got Pleasant Grove and uh, Carthage. Pleasant Grove is a much better team than they were against uh, Brock and Carthage is Carthage. Uh, so if there's going to be a, a game that's going to trip Carthage up, it might be this game. Uh, but if they get past this game, I think they're going to have a pretty good run to the state finals. That's a heck of a machine over there, Carthage. Uh, it's harder to jump in front of that train and not get bowled over. So I'll be keeping one eye on that score as well. Uh, before I throw this humongous turkey into the uh, – into the oven here and get ready for Thanksgiving. Tell me about some 3A, 2A games that kind of catch your eyes. In 3A, I mean, we're just all Paradise versus Bushland is going to be kind of the big game in Region 1 this week. Uh, they are uh, – yep. Bushland just destroyed Whitesboro last week. And Paradise is one of those teams, kind of like Waxahachie, where uh, they played really good teams and then they haven't played anybody else. And when they played the really good teams, they didn't look so good. Uh, so how will they play against Bushland? We're going to have to figure that out. I got a chance to see Grandview against Pottsboro this past week. Uh, Grandview has no defense, but a really good offense. So I, I think we're going to see Winsboro versus Malakoff as kind of the game to watch. In 3A Division II, we're still waiting for uh, Canadian and Gunter. Like uh, That's the game we're waiting for. Uh, two, two more weeks, and we're going to get that. In 2A Division I, Toller is looking like the team. I think we're going to be covering them at State on Wednesday night at AT&T Stadium. So I'm excited about that. Sir, yes, sir. And you mentioned our Thanksgiving story. Boy, I have to put it a, I'll put an SOS call into Marley Merker over at Richardson ISD. And she just she came up with this great story. It was a two-part deal. The, the Richardson players were first were at elementary school giving out thank you letters of appreciation to the parents that take their time out of the day to get their kids to school and make sure they're doing their homework and all that stuff. And they, people don't think about that, but it's a, it's a nice thing to, to hear you're appreciated and especially for people that you go out and cheer on Friday nights. And then the, they did a donation where you had to give up, you know, you had to donate some goods in order to come see this pie eating contest for uh, at the uh, Richardson coaches. They had volleyball coaches, football coaches. Coach Holloway wouldn't do it. He claimed he had a sugar rush the night before and he couldn't do it. I think he was just scared to go up against the, the guy that did end up winning it, which was the offensive, the t tight end coach Hayden Wall just destroyed this cherry pie he must have won by like three four minutes the way he ate the thing and everybody else was just like needling through some pumpkin pie stuff but it was interesting because she brought a huge box for donations the thing overflowed was falling out all over the place so they really did a good job of of giving back to a, a ministry charity that they gave back to it's just a terrific idea marley pulled that thing together in like two days just because she knew we needed a nice thanksgiving story and it's going to be great I just finished cutting it a little while ago. It's, it's a terrific story. So if you want to feel good deal in between 11 sets of highlights that we'll have on the show, that's the one to watch. And you want one set of highlights, kind of interesting. You, you kept talking, one of your uh, ongoing things was talking about the sunset over at Choctaw. Well, since we've been taping this podcast, the sun is set. So I, I'm noticing how much darker it is behind me now. Uh, but as you know, I, when I came to start the podcast, it was light and, and, and now it's dark. So if, if you've seen the sun, you know, Elton John once said, don't let the sun go down on me. Well, it, it did. So uh, if you're a player, if you're a coach out there at the, the 3.30 game, be careful about that sun because you see the havoc it can cause to a podcast. Imagine what it can do to a football game. 
<laughs> to a football game. Hey, everybody have a good Thanksgiving out there. Digsy, I'm thankful for you doing this podcast with me. You've always been a, a good, trustworthy friend for me, so I appreciate you hanging through with these deals. Not, uh, and I'm also thankful that you haven't browbeaten me too much this year. You just let me be my own person, let me do my own thing, and not killing me each and every week about my commanders. Oh, wait a second. You do do that. You know, I do it with love, and that's the end of the day. And, 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 and what you do is you put music on and make the production value great. So sing us out, Wizzy, and we'll see you down the road. We will see you down the road.